This morning we're going to continue a series that we've started some months ago in the book of Philippians. Philippians. This morning I would encourage you to turn to Philippians chapter 3. We'll be picking up in verse 12. Philippians 3, beginning in verse 12 this morning. Uh, Before I read this passage, let me just remind you that this short letter or epistle was written by the Apostle Paul to a group of people in Philippi, a group of people that Paul at least knew many of them quite well, a group of people who were struggling under recent circumstances and needed to be reminded of the joy that was theirs in the Lord. I trust this morning as we read that we will recognize and remember that we are coming to God's holy, inspired Word that He has given for our good and for His glory. Let's read now Philippians 3, beginning in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body, by the power that enables Him to even to subject all things to Himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Let's pray once again. Father, we are so incredibly thankful that you have given us a clear witness of who you are and of how you work. Lord, I pray this morning that we would see you, that we would know you, and that we would be shaped and changed. Lord, I pray this morning that you would encourage those who are downtrodden, that you would convict those whose hearts perhaps are full of pride. And again, God, that you would change each and every one of us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. The reality is that almost every single person in this room, almost all of us, we either have been students or we are currently students. That means that almost all of us in this room know what it looks like, maybe once or twice, to get to class late. As we jump back into Philippians this morning, I want want you to think about getting to class in the middle of the lesson or the middle of the lecture. So you you get to your seat, you open your books and your laptop, you, you zero in on your teacher, and you can tell, you can just tell from her body language and the tone of her voice that she is passionate about something. 
She is excited. She's energized. She is in the zone. And everybody else in the class is captivated. And, and you, you want to join in. But you have no, you have no idea what she's talking about. Here in Philippians 3.12, we're, we're actually showing up a little bit late. We're, we're joining the Apostle Paul in the, in the middle of his lesson. Let me show you what I mean. Look at verse 12 again. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Paul is clearly passionate here. He's really excited about something. He is making an important point. But what is he talking about? What is the this and the it in verse 12? Well, for the sake of context, I want us to back the lesson up a bit. I actually want us to reread Philippians 3, 8 through 11. Here's what Paul says earlier. Indeed, I count Everything is lost for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. In short, the this and the it in verse 12, they're both references to a complete, transformative, deeply personal knowledge of Jesus Christ. You see, for Paul, and and really for all Christians, the ultimate goal of our entire human existence is knowing, knowing Jesus. In verse 11, Paul recognizes that, that a perfect knowledge of Jesus is only possible for us following the resurrection on the last day. That's why verses 12 through 14, they're filled with this language of pressing and and striving and straining. The Apostle Paul, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit here, he's pulling our attention back from a glorious future that will be ours in Jesus to the present. We haven't fully arrived yet in our knowledge, understanding, appreciation, and affection of Christ. So, So the question is, what do we do today as God's people, to grow in our relationship with Jesus. Well, before we even get to really our our big ideas this morning, I I want to make one thing very, very clear. As we talk about drawing closer to Jesus, we need to realize that we are pressing on and straining forward from a position of eternal security. Here's what I mean by that. Look at verse 12 one more time. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. As believers, again, we do not yet have a perfect knowledge of Jesus, but be encouraged because the Lord Jesus Christ has a perfect knowledge of us. 
He has made us His own. Just hear the words from the Gospel of John. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one, no one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus cares for his own with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Those of us this morning who are looking to Christ by faith, we're we're not straining forward and, and striving for His love and acceptance. We press on to know Jesus better day by day, moment by moment, because we are already loved and accepted by Him. In the majority of the passage before us this morning, Paul pictures our our growing knowledge of Jesus as a foot race. As a result, we're going to consider really three questions about our race together. Where is your focus? Who are you following? And who is your foundation? Where is your focus? Who are you following? And who is your foundation? First, where is your focus? Paul, again, he he acknowledges his imperfection and his imperfect understanding of Jesus three times in verses 12 and 13. I have not obtained this. I am not already perfect. I do not consider that I have made it my own. Then he launches into the running metaphor at the end of verse 13. But this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Do you see Paul's focus there? And do you hear the contrast that he creates for us? As we run through life, we really have two options. We are either going to focus our attention on what lies behind us, or we are going to strain forward to what lies ahead of us in Jesus. Now, Paul in Philippians 3, he is clearly focused on Jesus. He is pressing on toward the goal. But most of us probably look at this passage and we think to ourselves, well, of course Paul is focused on Jesus. He's Paul. But we need to stop. And I think we really need to consider together how easy it would have been for Paul to lose sight of Jesus. Just think about all the things that were behind the Apostle Paul. Earlier in chapter 3, he gives his religious resume. He was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law a Pharisee, as to zeal a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law blameless. So in the eyes of his first century countrymen, Paul was a big deal. He was an upstanding, well-educated, well-respected man of conviction and results. But Paul, he counted all of those accomplishments, all of that reputation, all of that standing, all of that security as rubbish for what? The surpassing worth of knowing Christ. What about the things behind Paul the Christian epistle? or, excuse me, Christian apostle. 
Well, he was called to salvation and into vocational ministry by the direct revelation of Jesus. By the midpoint of Acts, Paul actually eclipses Peter as the most influential person in the early church. Paul witnessed miracles and Paul worked miracles. He planted churches in multiple countries on multiple continents and he wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now, if anybody could be tempted to focus on what lies behind, surely it was Paul. At some level, we kind of have to ask, right, well, what's the harm? Why is this unhealthy? I want you to listen carefully. If at any moment we try to run the race of the Christian life with our eyes fixed on the past and ultimately on ourselves, if we focus our attention on what lies behind, then we are going to be tripped up by pride and a deceptive kind of self-righteousness. If at any moment I, I think I've arrived in my own spiritual journey, my heart is going to fill up with two things, arrogance and laziness. Look at all I've done. Look at all I've sacrificed. Look at all I've accomplished and all I've given. I've strained and I have suffered and I have succeeded. You know, God must be really proud of me. That's not Christianity. As the people of God, we are pressed, called to press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We, we can reflect on God's faithfulness with gratitude and, and humility and thanksgiving, yes, but we must be primarily focused on what lies ahead of us in Jesus with Jesus, and for Jesus. You know, it's interesting, in verse 15, Paul recognizes that there is a group of people, really in every church, that are mature. In almost every single context, there are going to be men and women who have already come a long, long way with Jesus. They've seen His faithfulness. They've experienced His grace. They've drawn close to Him for years. So, so what are the mature believers supposed to do in Philippians 3? They are supposed to think the exact same way as everyone else. Let, let me say it another way. No one in this church, no one in any church will ever outgrow or move past his or her daily need to focus and focus, and focus again on the person and work of Jesus. In 2014, Rachel and I had the privilege of traveling to Nova Scotia with her parents. During our trip, we, we saw the sights, we ate the food, and obviously we purchased a few small souvenirs. If you visit our home, you'll, you'll actually see one of those souvenirs in our living room. It, it's a really small, simple print that reads... I on the prize. At first glance, there is nothing particularly attractive about the print. It's literally four short words on an eight and a half by 11 black and white piece of paper. But Rachel and I, we, we were really both captured by the confident typesetting 
and the concise message. Eye on the prize. As Christians, our prize is, is not the good reputation that we may gain as being moral, upstanding, sacrificial people. Our prize is not, it's not the tangible blessings that we enjoy from God's hand in this life. Our ultimate prize, it's not even the spiritual blessings that are ours in Jesus Christ. As the people of God, our prize is God Himself. As we work to apply this lesson to our hearts this morning, let let me ask you again, where is your focus? Maybe you've been a part of, of Clemson Presbyterian Church for decades So you've given your time and your energy and and your money to this place and to these people. You've seen the buildings go up and the debt go down and the people come in. You have seen God establish and grow this church through time. Can I say this to you from a position, I hope, of humility? Perhaps without even knowing it. Some of us could be tempted to look around this place and think we did it. We built it. We're good. Hear me well. We should rejoice together in God's kindness to our church. We should praise Him for His faithfulness. Those of a younger generation, like myself, we should be deeply grateful for the work so many have done here. But we also need to remember that our prize is not a building, or a beautiful campus, or a healthy budget, or a growing sense of personal accomplishment or corporate satisfaction. Our prize is always and only Jesus. Maybe you're newer to our church. Maybe you're newer to the Christian faith. It's the same question. Where is your focus? Is your focus on you? Is it on the things that that Jesus has done for you in the past? Is it on what Jesus has given to you? Or can you honestly and humbly say that your focus today is on Jesus Himself? The reality is that, that some of us need to repent this morning. Others of us need to remember who Jesus really is and what the Christian life is really all about. By God's grace, all of us, all of us, we need to strain on and press forward and hold true to Jesus. Verses 12 through 16, they they clearly emphasize the importance of growing in our personal relationship with Jesus. The next few verses, and this is interesting, they actually help us understand how to grow in our relationship with Jesus. Now, I, I want you to pay very careful attention Because I think many, if not most of us, when we think about how to grow in our faith, we automatically default, rightly so, to reading the Scriptures, partaking of the sacraments, and joining the Lord in prayer. But that's not where Paul points us here. He points us to people. Read verse 17 again. Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Here at the end of Philippians 3, Paul is setting up another contrast. 
Here, between the positive example of faithful believers who are pursuing Jesus and the negative example of those that he calls the enemies of the cross. As we examine these two groups together, and we continue to think about knowing Jesus, here's the second big question we need to think about. Who are you following? Let's look at that negative example first. Verses 18 and 19. For many of whom I have told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. You probably noticed that Paul is communicating with, with a lot of emotion here. He is describing these enemies of the cross through tears. Why? Because Paul knows many of these people. Think of Demas. He was dear to Paul and, and recognized as a fellow worker in the book of Philemon. But what happened? Demas deserted Paul and the faith because why? He was in love with this present world. The, the enemies of the cross of Christ here in Philippians 3, they're not aggressive, belligerent, malicious, and explicitly anti-Jesus. These people aren't even foreign to or outside of the church. They are in the midst. So how do we identify them and avoid following them? Look again at the description given in verse 19. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame. Minds set on earthly things. In short, enemies of the cross are consumed with the present world and all it has to offer. These Christians, they actually live for power, profit, pleasure, position, and possessions. They're full of pride and they're controlled by passion. I need to make two final observations about these enemies before we move forward. First, there are a lot of people who live this way. It's right there at the beginning of verse 18, for many. Don't think that these negative examples are few and far between, even in the church. Second, Paul clearly states the danger of following these enemies of the cross. Their end is destruction. Living for yourself, even if it comes with the trappings of Christianity, it will lead to eternal devastation. Paul gives the positive example of Christian living in verses 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. <laughs> Full disclosure, that is a loaded, loaded statement. We don't have time to, to really unpack this fully this morning, but, but I think we do see the clear contrast here, right? Those who know Jesus and who are pressing on to know Jesus are living for and longing for the world to come. Why? Because in heaven, we will be in a perfect place in perfect bodies, enjoying perfect, perfect relationship with Jesus. Here's how you identify a faithful follower of Christ. Find a man or woman who by God's grace holds everything, 
everything in this world with open hands. Find someone who's humble, who talks a lot about Jesus and only a little about himself. Find someone whose prayers sound like an honest conversation with a friend. Find someone who is genuinely excited about the new heavens and the new earth. Find someone who doesn't who just doesn't really belong to this world. In recent years, we've all become more aware of influencers. If you're unfamiliar with the term, an influencer is typically an individual who shapes the thoughts and decisions and, and actions of a significant group via a social media platform like Instagram. In today's world, there are political influencers, Interior design influencers, automotive influencers, and a host of influencers who hold a lot of sway over the ever-changing landscape of pop culture. Here's my point. We all, all of us, have spiritual influencers in our lives. So who is influencing your knowledge of and relationship with Jesus? Who is shaping your Christian desires, your decisions, your affections, your aspirations, Who is serving as your example of a quiet, peaceable, faithful Christian life? Who are you following? Let me come at this from another angle by way of personal testimony. I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt that I am who I am in relationship to Jesus in large part through the godly example and influence of others. I have a long way to go. You know, my parents, who are actually here this morning, they have consistently pointed me to Jesus with this beautiful blend of tenacity and humility. During high school, I learned from the patience and joy and simplicity of Joel and Abby Huffstetler. In college, I gleaned much from the practical wisdom and fatherly generosity of a man named Dr. Ken Hay. While in seminary, Rachel and I were both profoundly shaped by the faithful, everyday godliness of Ann Guerin and Bob and Polly Stone. In the past nine years, we've been We have been influenced by a countless number of saints in this church. You see, it's through the people of God, in large part, that I am constantly learning how to live with Jesus, how to lean on Jesus, how to hope in Jesus, and yes, even how to die well in Jesus. This morning, Philippians 3 is encouraging each and every one of us to follow the example of others who really know God. At the end of the day, if our church is known for nothing else, I sincerely hope that it will always be known as a place where we are faithfully pointing one another to Christ. To that end, let me also say this. If you are struggling to get connected to others in a meaningful way in this place, 
Or if you would like to be in an actual mentor kind of relationship with someone, then I would love to talk to you. And I'd love to do everything I can to provide help for you. Thus far, we've looked at two big questions from this passage of Scripture. Where is your focus? Who are you following? By God's grace, we we need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus in this life, and we need to follow the example of other godly men and women who know and love Jesus. Before we turn our attention to to other things today, we're going to look at one final question. Who is your foundation? Look back at verse 1 of chapter 4. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. The first verse in Philippians 4, it's actually kind of summary statement or conclusion. Paul gives us one final encouragement in our Christian race. Stand firm in the Lord. In chapter 3, this is interesting, Paul makes it clear that Jesus is actually the finish line of our faith. Here in chapter 4, we learn that Jesus is also the foundation of our faith. So Jesus, he's both the goal and the ground that we run on. In other words, Jesus is everything. As believers, we stand firm in him and we run faithfully to him. You can tell Paul really wants us to get his point here in verse 1. I just want you to listen to all of the words in and around the one simple command. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Paul's affection, his love, his dedication to these people, it's on full display here. This is an earnest, intimate plea to the people of God. Here's another way that we could read that same verse. I love you, and I desperately want what's best for you. You are the objects of my constant affection, and your greatest good is of utmost, utmost importance to me. You stand on Jesus, and you don't move no matter what. The conclusion here, it's also interesting because there's no contrast. Earlier we learned that we can focus on what's behind, or we can focus on Jesus. We can follow the enemies of the cross, or we can follow those who are looking to Jesus. But here in chapter 4, the Lord Jesus Christ is presented to us as the only foundation. Why? Because we either stand on Jesus or we stand on nothing. On June 24th of this year, a section of the Champlain Towers in Surfside, Florida collapsed, resulting in the death of 98 residents. The Wall Street Journal described this tragedy as a disaster without modern precedent in the United States. Investigators are still at work, but the early evidence points to a significant foundation failure in that building. When the foundation gave way, the the building couldn't support its own weight. It couldn't hold itself up, so it crumbled into a tragic pile of rubble and ash. Thankfully, I, I know a lot of you in this room. 
but I don't know all of you. I certainly can't say that I know you as well as Paul knew most of the Philippians, but can I, can I just say this? I do love you because you were created in the image of God for His glory. I love you because we are all deeply broken and bruised by the fall. I love you because we all need the same redemptive work of Jesus. So as we look into our hearts and into our lives, let me ask you again, who is your foundation? Who are you looking for to for confidence and stability and security in this life and in the life to come? If you can honestly say, Jesus, then by God's grace, you stay right where you are. If you're standing on anything or anyone else, Let me encourage you this morning. Look to Jesus. We've covered a lot of ground here in Philippians 3. As believers, I hope we recognize that we belong to God forever through the sufficient work of Jesus Christ. He has made us His own. But the reality, day by day, moment by moment, we have the privilege and the responsibility of growing in our relationship with Jesus. The Lord Jesus Christ, He is our prize for time and eternity. So as we prepare to go from this place into a world that is full of dangers and distractions, bitterness and brokenness, let me encourage you, Focus on Jesus. Follow the people of God to Jesus. And stand firm on the sure foundation of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we recognize that you have given us the joy of knowing you in Christ. You have given us of your Spirit who constantly draws us nearer. But we also know that, God, our eyes are so quick to turn back to ourselves, to the things of this world. Our hearts are our idol factories. God, we get tripped up. We look away. God, keep us today focused on you. Keep us following your people to you. Keep us firmly planted on you. Lord, in all that we do and say, in all that we want, in all that we consider, may we see and may we find Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen.